This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. It wasn't easy to end, but we're going to go ahead and end. And we want to give you some final things, just some thoughts here. So if you need a Bible, why don't you raise your hand up real high. Once you get a Bible, go with me to the book of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, I encourage you to stay in the Word of God, continue to to read the Word. You know, you get in the Word and God will get into you. So as we begin here today, you've probably figured out that the evil in our world, it still exists, it's real. It's because we live in a fallen world and so as long as we're on this planet, there's going to be evil within it, but there is hope. There's hope through Jesus There's victory through Jesus. Actually, the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 61 that Jesus was sent to set the captives free. Now, as you're turning to Galatians chapter 5, this is going to be a little, little simple thought here that I believe will help you understand evil a little bit. If you were to take the word devil, D-E-V-I-L, and you would remove the word D, what would you get? You would get evil. And so again, when we see evil in this world, remember the evil we experience, it's the devil, okay? He's the author of evil. And so anytime you're seeing evil, killing, stealing, and destroying, that's the devil. That's John 10.10 is what that says right there. So never forget that. But today we're going to talk a little bit more about how Jesus will put hope in you and Jesus will set you free. So we begin in Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. Stand fast, stand firm. He didn't say fall down. He didn't say sit down. He said stand firm, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty or the freedom by which Christ has made us free. Now, that's past tense right there. The message says Christ has set us free to live a free life. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So when we read right there what the Apostle Paul wrote, Jesus wants every one of us in here to walk in freedom. No matter where you're at in this life, finish this verse with me. And he goes on to say, and do not be entangled again. Do not be hampered. Do not be held. Do not be ensnared. Do not submit again with a yoke of bondage. In other words, he tells us, don't go back. Don't go back to the place you used to be. Now that word yoke right there is literally a slavery term. Don't be held in bondage or in slavery to the things of your past. So there's a strong warning for us right here. Now, when we we look at what the Apostle Paul just said, he said also in Ephesians chapter 4, he said, do not give the devil place or do not give the devil opportunity. You know what that tells me? I can open the door up to the things of the enemy. The Greek word right there where it says place or opportunity is a word called topos, T-O-P-O-Z. That word, T-O-P-O-S, that word means believers can actually fall back into bondage. You don't have to, but you can. And so these are strong warnings for us. Verse 13 of that chapter. For you brethren, you fellow believers... You've been called to liberty. You've been called to walk in freedom. So over the past two months, we've talked about different areas that we can be held in bondage. 
things that are dominating. You know, some people will say, well, I don't know that I'd call it bondage. I may have a weakness. Well, when you've done it month after month or year after year, that's not a weakness, okay? That's a bondage. That's something that has begun to enslave you. Now, I can tell you in my own life, I've, I've been in bondage. I've been dominated. Where a thing called alcohol, it ruled me for a number of years of my life. But I will tell you this. Jesus set me free. He set me free from those things. So these warnings in here, the apostle Paul gives us, remember this. The devil doesn't attack your strengths, he'll attack your weaknesses. So stand firm in the things of God, all right? Now, go with me to the book of Luke, chapter 15. And for most of the morning, this is where we're going to be. Because this passage, it, it talks about so much of what we've talked about for the last several months. Luke, chapter 15. And I'm going to begin there in verse number 11. Then Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his whole livelihood, or gave him his whole inheritance. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions on prodigal living. The word prodigal there means wasteful living. Now, when we look at this here, this younger son was rebellious, and he was very immature. And for him to leave like he, he did, he desired to live however he wanted. Understand this, regardless of your age, regardless of your 12 or your 85 in here today, you can live however you want. God will allow you to live however you want. But God will also turn you over to the consequences of your choices. Pretty hard, isn't it? So if I want to live in a prodigal way, if I want to live for the world like this young man was doing, understand totally today, there will be consequences for your choices. You want verse 4, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. I set before you this day life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. So again, everything I do in this life of mine becomes a choice of mine. It's very easy for, for me to blame other people for my choices. But remember today, you make choices. So 37 years ago, I made a choice to marry Shelly. It was a choice of mine. She didn't hold a gun to my head and make me. I chose to do that. So the day after I got married, what would have happened if I would have looked at her and said, you know what, we're married. But I want you never to expect a whole lot out of me. I'm going to come around when it's convenient. I'm going to come around when I want something or I need something. But don't expect me to be committed, okay? Now that wouldn't be a very good marriage, would it? There's not much of a relationship in that. But my analogy of that is oftentimes this is exactly what we've done to Father God. 
We make the choice to make God or Jesus Lord of our lives. We make the choice to say, Jesus, come into my heart to be Lord of my life. But you know what, Jesus? I don't want much of a relationship with you. I don't want to be committed to you. I don't want to give. I don't want to serve. I don't want to pray. I don't want to do that. But I do want you to bless me. And so again, to a degree, because of my choices, we never have the thought, there's going to be consequences for all my choices. Now this is where this prodigal son got. He wanted all these things. But he didn't want to go, or he didn't want to receive the consequences that went with them. So back to Luke 15. Verse number 14. And when he had spent all, or squandered all, there arose a severe famine in that land. Now he's penniless. And he began to be in want. Now, how many of you have figured this out in your life? That want has a way of getting my attention. Whether that's financially or any area of my life. When I come to a place of want, it gets my attention. And oftentimes when we're in a place of want, we want God to bail us out. And so this boy's in a place of want... But many times we don't want to look at our own life and say, the reason I'm in this predicament I'm in is because of my choices. Oftentimes it's easier to blame God or to blame other people when in reality, the reason he's in a place of want is why? Because the choices he made. No different for me and you. So he's in want. Then he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country And he sent him into his fields to feed the swine or the pigs. Now, what we must understand about this story right here. This this young man was a Jewish boy. For a Jewish boy to work for a Gentile, that was a no-no. You didn't do that. And the worst of all is if you study the Jewish culture, pigs or swine were viewed as defiled. In other words, you stayed away from pigs. You didn't get near them. Now, I'm a Gentile. I, I, I like pigs, okay? I like pork ribs. I like bacon. I sanctify it in the name of Jesus. This is a true story. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but this happened recently. I got a nephew that here in a month or two is going to marry a, a Jewish girl. She was precious. I'd never met her before. She grew up in New York. So we go to this restaurant to eat, and my mom's with me, my 80-year-old mom who was here in the first service. And my mom said to me, she said, what are you going to order? And I said, I'm going to order those pork tacos. Well, my mom said, no, 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 you can't do that. And I said, well, why not? She said, you're going to offend. She's Jewish. They don't believe in that. And I said, well, mom, they don't know what they're missing. (laughs) I said, I like pork tacos. And I said, I'm going to sanctify it in the name of Jesus. And my mom said, oh storm please don't do that so the lady came around and she said what do you want to eat and I said those pork tacos and I ever I I enjoyed every bite of it I promise you just a side note so he begins to do this he begins he gets so so far gone he's gone so far backwards this is how low he's gotten so we pick up here in verse 16 
And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. So we see right here that he's not only living in the pig pens, he's eating the pig slop. He's in a very messy place in his life. And when I read this, I think, how many times have we gone into messy places of our life? Sometimes it takes us going so far the wrong way that that's the only way God can get our attention. I mean, there's times in my life that that's what's happened to me. And, and, and it's sad when we think of it, life in this term. We either learn by wisdom or we learn by the hard way. Wisdom is to obey the word of God or obey your mother and father. Even at, at 14. You know, when I was 14, I thought my dad was so ignorant. When I became 22, my dad became brilliant. We learn by wisdom or we learn the hard way. How many of you in here have learned many times the hard way? Man, the older I get, I say, Lord, I don't want to learn the hard way. Well, this is where this young man's at. And guess what? None of, none of us in this room are exempt from this. So you see how far he spiraled out of control. But watch what happens here. Verse 16, and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave anything. But when he came to himself, and the New American Standard says, when he came to his senses, when something happened within him, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? He came to his, his senses, and I want to highlight there, because what this literally means, he recognized in his life, I need help. That's where restoration begins. And it's very important for every one of us in this room to understand, you'll never get set free in your life until you come to a place where you say, I need help. That's a good place where I say, I need help. And so he's on the verge of dying of hunger. And because of the want or the need in his life, he calls out. Now, if you'll note in that verse, who did he literally say, I'll cry out to? He said, my father's servants. So the very place that he left with father, now he's coming back to it. That's a good place for me and you to be in. When we begin to spiral out of control, God will welcome you back. How do I know that? We'll watch the rest of this story. So he goes on to say, I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, watch this, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Now, this is interesting to me right here. You know what he does? He repents. And when we talk about the word repent, it's not very popular in our society anymore. For me to repent, that's admitting I've been wrong. 
But when I truly repent with genuine repentance, which from the heart, it's sorrowful, it's regret, something begins to happen. But if I don't ever repent, the work of the cross, the work of Jesus is for nothing, even though he already paid the price for it. But when I repent, it grants God legal right to work in my life and to intervene. So when I look at this here, when I don't deal with sin, how God tells me to deal with sin, I forfeited those rights, what Jesus died for, but also I've opened the door up to the devil. So how are we to deal with sin, how God tells me to deal? Well, in 1 John 1, 9, God said, if you'll confess your sin, well, you'll admit it and say, this is what I've done, Father God. I take ownership. He said, I'll forgive you and I'll cleanse you. And so right here as we read verse 19 or verse 18, this is what he said, I'll do. I'll arise and I'll do this. Understand this with sin. It doesn't evaporate or disappear over time. The only way sin is washed away it's when I repent to God and say, Father God, I ask you to forgive me. That's powerful. That's the second area. The first area is this. If you can't admit you need help, and then the way the restoration process really begins is when I say, I've blown it, Father God. And you go back and you look in history of men and women in the Bible, when they blew it, you know what they did to get back with right, right with God? They repented. Throughout history, you'll see that. I believe this personally. Hist uh, uh, repentance may be the greatest daily vitamin we can partake of. It just keeps my heart right. It keeps me tender. Well, Pastor, I'm not going to do that. Well, you don't do that. You're going to suffer the consequences of not doing it. You know, Billy Graham. Some of you may not even know who Billy Graham is. Kind of dates you. Billy Graham was one of the greatest men of God in our society ever. He's still alive. He's in his late 90s now. He was married to a woman named Ruth. And Ruth Graham was asked this question many years ago. She said, they said, Ruth, what's the secret to a great marriage? And she said, the secret to a great marriage is two people who understand repentance and forgiveness. You had a chance to say amen. Maybe you ought to write that in your notes today. I'm never above, or, or above repenting. I'm never beneath repenting. Whether that's to God or whether that's to my wife. Something happens when we get a hold of what God said to get old. Man, it got quiet in here. Verse 19. Look what he says. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me. Now remember in verse 12 he said give me. Now he says make me like one of your hired servants. When you think about a servant. You know what a servant is a servant for? To obey and fulfill everything the master says. Something happens as servants of God when we begin to obey. Verse 20. And he arose and he came to his father. Now, I highlight that because he did that of his own will or his own choice. 
Notice here, God didn't make him do that. So it says, and he arose and he came to his father. Now watch the father's response. But when he was still a great way off, the father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and he began to kiss him. And so you know what I see right here? God loves you. God's patient. God's constant. And when we have a heart to turn back to God, man, God will embrace you and God will love you. I don't care what you've done. Verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And so the father's reaction right here shows that when it's genuine heartfelt repentance, it not only brings a pardon, but there's also restoration. You know what God said to him? I want to restore you. Something happens when I begin to, to act like this son. Now, there's three things in this, this verse that really stood out. He said, I'm going to give you a robe. I'm going to put a ring on you. And I'm going to give you some sandals. Every one of those were significant for me and you. When he talks about the robe there in, in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah said, it's called the robe of righteousness. I'll put the robe of righteousness on you. And you know what the word righteousness means? It means I'm in right standing with God. So he puts this robe on this son who had just recently been in the pig pens of life. And he says, you're righteous now in my eyes. You're in right standing with my eyes. See, it shows me again when I respond to God. And he embraces me and puts a robe on me. So I go through this and I begin to look at it and and I think, okay, give, give me stuff, Lord, to help us understand this. So years back when you were in school, and you may do it still to this day, but, but, but guys and gals would walk around with a letter jacket. And their letter jacket, it, it told of all their achievements. I mean, they would have stuff here, pinned here, written here. You know, I, I was all-state baseball. I was all-state basketball. I, I was the drum major. I was the, 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 the captain of the twirling team. Whatever it was. Now, when we wore a letter jacket, every bit of that signified my accomplishments. Look what I did. But when you put on the robe of righteousness, you're saying... Look what Jesus did for me. Look who I am in Christ Jesus. Now many of us in this room, we had a letter jacket and we all, or many of us, lettered in sin. For many years. But the minute I repent and I come to Jesus, you know what he does? He puts on the robe of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So everything I do now is in Christ Jesus. I'm a great daddy because of Christ Jesus. I'm a great husband because Jesus qualifies me as a great husband. See, when I start getting over on me, 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 that's when I get in trouble in life. But when I look to Jesus, okay, Jesus. 
So as, as, as this prodigal son came to Jesus, the key here is this. We never quit coming to Jesus. Day by day by day, I keep coming around Jesus. The second thing he said is, I'm going to put a ring on you. The ring was symbolic as what took place in Genesis 41 when, when the Pharaoh gave Joseph the signet ring. The signet ring, it, it looked and said this, you got my authority. You got my authority. If anyone in Egypt gives you any problems, you just put up the ring. Don't put up the finger. Put up the ring. Okay? I got the ring. I got the authority. So when he put that signet ring on him, you know what he said to the prodigal son? You got authority, buddy. You got my authority. Now think about this. The devil has power, but he doesn't have authority. Now there's a huge difference in that. I mean, we have police officers here in our church. When the police officer flashes that badge, you know what? You realize they got authority. It's like in New York City, if, if a, a police officer goes into the middle of the street there in downtown Manhattan, but he doesn't have any of his uniform on or a badge, there's a good chance he's going to get squashed like a bug. But when that police officer walks out there and he's in his uniform, he's got his badge on, and he does this, you know what you're going to do? You're going to stop. Not unless you've got a lot of stupid in you. So again, the Lord said, give him that signet ring. Now this all happened because he repented and he came back to the kingdom of God. In Luke 10 verse 19, Jesus said this, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And so you know what God said to him? Here's my authority, it's yours. Then he puts the sandals on. You know what the sandals I believe more and more represent? We got places to go for Jesus. He wants our, our, our feet to be firmly planted. He wants us to stand on the word of God. And so right here, as, as this young man comes back, God says, man, get the robe out. Put the ring on him. Put sandals on his feet. Verse 23. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. Now this is a myth about people in the church that's totally wrong. God loves the party. God loves to have fun. And a lot of times people say, oh, a Christian's life is so boring. You never get to do anything fun. I, I don't know about what Christian parties you've been to. And I like to throw down with God. I like to party with God. And the best thing about partying with God is when you get up the next day, you're not all hungover. There's no high like the most high. Ah, you're just saying that now. I've been on both sides of that coin. I'm going to tell you that right now. Woo, we had fun last night. Well, what would you do? Well, we hugged the toilet and we threw up all night. Fun. It was a great time. Verse 24. For this my son was dead and is alive again. That's an interesting verse right there. This my son was dead and is alive again. Now he repeats that in verse 32. But it, it is the part we got to get. He was dead. Was he dead physically and he's now alive again? No. 
It said he was dead and he was talking about spiritually and he was talking about his relationship with God. And what did he say? He's alive again. Now that ought to tell me something right there. This was a guy who at one time who lived for the kingdom of God, but he ran in the other direction, but now he's alive again. Powerful. He was lost and is found, and they begin to be merry. A result of repentance and restoration. Now I want you to go with me to the book of James, chapter 5. James, chapter 5, and as you're turning to James 5, I'm going to finish the story real quick. I'm going to paraphrase it. So after all this is going down, the older brother shows up. He hears all the music. He smells the steaks. He smells the fatted calf. And he says to the servants, what's going on in there? And the servant says, your younger brother came home. And when he heard that, it infuriated him. He became so mad and he became so critical toward the father. So when you look at this right here, that older brother was representation of the Pharisee or someone religious who said, you know what? I don't like you, Father God, when you allow sinners to come in here. And he was full of unforgiveness. He was full of bitterness. You know what he said out of his mouth to his father? He said, I've never done anything wrong. If you've ever had children, you know that's a tale. <laughs> I, I laugh when I read that. Anytime people say, oh, I've never done any wrong. Man, you're an incredible liar. You're incredibly deceived, one of the two. And so when I read this passage right here, this is one of the areas we talked about freedom was, am, am I bound by a religious spirit? Am I bound by self-righteous? And so when you look at this, are you like the younger son or are you like the older son? Am I able to say, you know what, I've blown it, I've blown it, I've blown it. Or do I say, oh, I'm never wrong, I'm perfect. I'm God's chosen. Now, where we go here to James 5, before I start in there, in the book of Revelations, chapter 2 and 3, Jesus addresses seven churches. To all seven of them, he says, to him who has ears, let him hear. Let him heed what I'm about to say. To all seven of them, he said, and to him who overcomes. Now, the word overcome is a military term, and it's rooted in combat. We know this as believers, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against all the ones listed in Ephesians 6.12. So again, you know what he tells me and you? You're in a battle. You're in a battle. You're in a spiritual battle. To five of the seven churches, he specifically says... Repent. Repent. We pick up in James chapter 5 verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. 
Now we know biblically that when we pray, we're supposed to pray in the name of Jesus. So he tells us right here, when you pray over them, pray in the name of Jesus. You know what? If you're born again, you have a right to that name. You speak in that name, the name of Jesus. You wear that name out. Everything you do in word or deed, that's Colossians 3.17. Do it in the name of Jesus. Man, begin to speak in the name of Jesus. So two great things have jumped out through these passages here that God began to deal with my heart. Uh, If you were here a week ago, the anointing oil. God says anoint him with oil. It's amazing how many times in the scripture God says anoint him with oil. Well, the oil isn't a magic potion. But the anointing oil was symbolic of a thing called consecration. The word consecration means to purify. Woo, we had a purifying last Sunday. Something happened. I enjoyed it so much, I purified again this week. I just keep putting oil on I keep doing it, I keep doing it. Now think about it in this terms right here. As the anointing oil is to our spirit, the same as the oil is to the engine of a car. Now this may be a mystery to some of you, but if you don't have oil in that engine, it's not going to be good. And so when there's oil in an engine or not, it doesn't matter how the outside looks. The only thing that matters is there oil on the inside. It doesn't matter how new the car is, how old the car is. Doesn't matter if it's a Ferrari or some other car. The thing that matters is, do you got oil? See, that's a question today for Do I got oil? Now, here's another mystery to some of you, maybe. That engine oil in your car needs to be changed periodically. How many in this room are in need of a change of oil? And I need some fresh oil, Lord. I need fresh oil. So there were two areas that the Lord really began to deal with me in my prayer time. Number one, he said, why have you gotten away from anointing people from oil? You know what I said? I don't know. Number two, he said, why have you gotten away from laying hands on people? Do you know that's that's a biblical practice that's used over and over and over and over in Scripture. 1 Timothy 4, 4, he said, you lay hands on them to stir up the gift within them. Matthew 6, or Mark 16, the Great Commission, he said, you lay hands on them and you pray and I'll heal them. He said in, in Acts, 8, or Acts chapter 8, he said, you lay hands on them and I'll fill them with the Holy Spirit. But the church as a whole, and I repent of it, we've gotten away from the very things God told us to do. And we wonder why God doesn't show up many times in our life when we quit doing what the Bible says to do. I'm I'm going to be very compassionate with the things of God. But I'll tell you right now, I'm not going to compromise the Word of God. I'm not going to compromise the Scriptures. I believe that's what we need to hear. I don't know about you. I don't want to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. How many of you agree with that? I I don't care if some of you ever say to me, Pastor, 
quit giving us cinnamon rolls. Quit giving us Twinkies. Give us broccoli and give us asparagus. I'll understand what you're saying and I'll be appreciative of it too, okay? Ooh, I better keep reading. Ooh. Verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. This is just a result of obeying the Bible. Verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And you know what I believe the healing is? I believe it's physical, but I believe he'll also heal you emotionally. He'll heal you spiritually. He'll heal you any way you need to be healed. And he goes on to say, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails a much. Great power produces wonderful results. But what happens if we don't do this? I found it's very, very humbling as a human being to have to look at someone and say, I'm, I'm sorry for what I did. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for sinning. I'm sorry. It would be like me looking at Anthony and saying, man, Anthony, here, here's what's going on with me. This is what's happening. But the Lord said in John 3, he said, if, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. But you know, if I was to confess to Anthony what I did, you know what that means to me? I know he's not going to judge me because guess what? He realizes I'm a sinner too. And so too many times we have this thought, I, I don't want Philip to know what I've done. Well, the truth is we've all blown it. Not that I'm happy about it, but something happens when I begin to obey the Word of God. Now let me end with this. This is verse 19 and 20. Brethren, fellow believers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, he strays from the truth, and tur someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sin. You know what he just said? You're the lifeguard. Tell them the truth. Even if they're living in error or sin. You know, when I was 18, I had a guy, and he would tell me that. He would say, you're living in sin. It ticked me off. I didn't like it. The problem was two things. One, he was right. And two, I couldn't whip him. Well, I could have if I'd have picked up an equalizer. So again, when someone says that to me now, I realize, you know what? When people love you, they tell you the truth. And the old saying, sometimes the truth hurts. But I would rather the truth hurt then you die like it said and go to hell in a way that you don't want to be. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.